Welcome to Essential Salt, a podcast that brings you stories reported on by students at the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies. This series is produced by Maine Public in partnership with Salt. I'm your host, Lucy Suchak. In each episode of Essential Salts, we'll bring you stories that go beyond the headlines to capture something true, something unexpected, something essential about the state of Maine and the people who live here. Let's get started. Albert Einstein has been quoted as saying, How I wish that somewhere there existed an island for those who are wise and of goodwill. Einstein sounds a bit frustrated here. Geniuses lose their patience too, I suppose. But I put it to you that the qualities of island life that he desires do actually exist. And in this Essential Salt episode, we'll hear three stories that take on some of the issues and challenges of living off of Maine's coast, but reveal some of the wondrous benefits of island life too. Einstein would be pleased. Episode 2, Ferry Access Only. Great Diamond, Shabig, and Oars are just three of the larger islands dotting Casco Bay. In fact, over 200 islands are found in these waters. In 2005, Samantha Brown went to Cliff Island, itself considered a major Casco Bay island, to speak to the residents about how they spend their time around the island, the island's future, and how island life is different than being on the mainland. Samantha enlisted the help of Cliff Island resident Connor Lent. What better way to get the lay of the land, or island, than through the eyes of a 10-year-old? Connor launches us into the first story of this episode, aptly titled, One Huge Backyard. I, I always love to explore the island, find new stuff. Connor Lent is 10 years old. Whoa! Nice! That's the biggest shell I've ever seen. And he's curious about everything. What kind of shell do you think this is? Connor and his family live on Cliff Island, 10 miles off the coast of Maine, and just inside Portland's city limits. For Connor, the island is like one huge backyard. And oh my gosh, this is a buoy stick. We use these as swords, when you're playing in the wood, we play them goblins and stuff, and I think this is the nice one I've seen ever. We find lots of cool stuff on the beaches. Cliff Island is two miles long and about a mile wide. The island prides itself on not being a tourist destination. There are no restaurants, no hotels or inns. A post office, a library, and a small general store clustered near the ferry landing. On the other side of the island is a one-room schoolhouse, for students, kindergarten through fifth grade. What's your favorite place on the island? See, I like a lot of stuff. I like the cove. I like the schoolyard and the um, chestnut trees. First, I, that's just a tough question to answer. Sixty people live on Cliff Island year-round. Connor knows many of them. He's friends with the ten other children who live there, and he's friendly with several of the adults as well. There's the owner of the general store, who Connor delivers papers for. And Mark, who builds lobster traps, is teaching Connor to tie knots. We are going to Bruce's house. Connor also spends time with Bruce Dyer. Well, Bruce's workshop, actually. He's like a handyman guy. 
and he's and I like to go to his place, help out and stuff. Well, I'm Bruce Dyer, and I've lived on Cliff Island since uh, uh, 63 years ago. I was born in Portland, but only for a day and then moved here. Been here ever since and love it. Bruce is a retired fisherman and now jack of all trades. Last year, Connor convinced Bruce to hire him to help out around his workshop. That would take me like half an hour to do that. You've got to be positive. So yeah, he was here every day when I paid him an odd. He'd come in every, you know, every day in the summertime. And then the wintertime, he'd come in like after school. And I taught him a lot about the saws, machinery and stuff in the shop. Cliff Island is different today than it was when Bruce was growing up. More summer residents and fewer people living here year-round. A recent increase in property taxes has some people moving off the island, and others exploring the option of Cliff seceding from Portland. Bruce is concerned about the island's future. I mean, last one we had, uh, at one time for a week or so, or two weeks maybe, we had 35 people on the island. That's about as low as I've ever seen it. That's not many people. And if you keep losing the population, then there's a few islands that's close to us that is just summer communities. When it comes uh, Thanksgiving, they shut them down, have caretakers run them, and no, no people living there in the wintertime. I don't want to see Cliff Island get that way. There used to be 300 islands in Maine with year-round communities. Now there are only 15. At a time when many people are moving off islands in Maine, Connor's parents, Amy and Sean Lent, chose to move to Cliff Island with their family. Amy and Sean feel the island provides their children with relief from the more frenzied pace of life on the mainland. There was a certain kind of pushing, you know, they had to go to soccer, do this, do that, do that, and I was constantly driving around and taking them to this place and that place, and they were involved in all these different activities, and they're not involved in as many structured activities, but they're still constantly busy, and they're being more self-reliant, I think. I think they're going to be more down-to-earth, you know, and not, you know, so much uh, influenced by a lot of things that, um, like commerce, for example. I mean, I think that a lot of communities, they feel the crush of commerce, all these strip malls going up. That's certainly something we're not going to have to worry about here on the island anyway. The Cliff Island Elementary School once held as many as 40 students. Seven attend this year. Connor is in the fifth grade, and his younger brother, Cade, is in the first. Before we do anything on page 16, I have a story to read. Judy McVeigh is the teacher at the Cliff Island School. She says that at other times, when the number of students was low, the island recruited young families to move there. Over the history of the school, we've done that twice, and both times a number of families have come with students, and the school's been repopulated again. We didn't want the school to close because uh, then no young families would be able to come here. And uh, between the post office and the school and the store, that keeps our island alive. Next year, Connor will be leaving the one-room schoolhouse. He will catch the 6 a.m. ferry with his older brother to attend middle school in Portland. But for now, Connor and his brother Cade just have to walk through the woods, over the hill, and home. I spy something orange. 
Really? Mm -hmm. The basketball. Yes. Now it's your turn, Connor. Connor thinks about the island a lot. Where he wants to build a fort, which trees he wants to climb, and where to explore for buried treasure. And like the adults on Cliff, Connor also thinks about the island's future. If there were a genie here, he gave you three wishes. For the island? Okay, for the island. What would you wish for? I'd wish for... I wish we would secede. That's one thing. We would secede and the taxes would drop. Enough so we can live, basically. And um, that's one. The second one, I'd probably say... Hmm... That the Cliff Island School would never, ever be sh- been shut down because there's some there's some close calls. And my third wish of all would be, hmm, <laughs> I wish there was a huge roller coaster that went all the way around the island. That's all. <laughs> After Salt, producer Samantha Brown went on to become a celebrated producer whose accolades include a DuPont Columbia Award, a DART Award, and most recently, a prestigious Neiman Fellowship at Harvard. This next archive story takes us to a different island in Casco Bay, Peaks Island, and a view of island life from an entirely different perspective. The segment's title, One Taxi, No Waiting, kind of gives this one away. The reporter, SALT student Karen Callahan, enlists the help of two island residents, older than young Connor from our previous segment, to help shape this particular story. Back in 2001, Karen went straight to Kathy Hassan and Lloyd Hamilton to get the scoop on the true comings and goings of the island's residents. And what allowed Hassan and Hamilton a unique perspective on the island? At one point in time, they both served as the only taxi driver on the island. The city of Portland, with its red brick commercial city center, bustles with tourists and natives, fire trucks and buses, and taxis. The signature cars of several cab companies swarm through Portland's busy streets. They make this small city seem big. Out on Peaks Island, however, life is quite different. Just 15 minutes into Casco Bay by ferry, Peaks Island is still a part of Portland politically, but not culturally. Barely marked, quiet dirt roads snake around the summer homes and year-round dwellings. In fact, there is only one taxi and one taxi driver, Kathy Hassan. Rick, I dropped off a box in your mailbox there. You're welcome. I have very little addresses on here. You just have to know where things go. Um, And then go there, you know? And then, I mean, you'll see very little street signs down here. Driving around this small community, one can see her familiarity with the landscape and the residents. Familiarity that comes not only from being an island dweller, but also the ferry greeter, the flower deliverer, the ride home. It's like, I know who lives there, I know who lives there, I know who lives there, but I don't know who lives there, you know. It's, you, don't, you don't know everybody where you drop off, or I certainly don't. And believe me, there are some people that you just don't want to either. At a year-round population of about 1,200, Peaks Island, like any small community, is bound to be close-knit. Kathy says too many people know each other's business, too many people are curious. But she enjoys the rewards of a small community. She enjoys the people of Peaks, who she describes as... Caring, 
sweet, um, proud. You're in the limelight down here, so you just want to have a person with some character. You know, if there's anything that you need, you don't have to go without really down here. Before she drove a cab, Kathy worked in a hair salon. She's raised three kids out on the island and now works about 10-hour days meeting boats and delivering packages. She came out to Maine a native Midwesterner but is acclimated to the climate, the people, and her unique role. So anyway, I started doing this a couple of years ago, and I love it. Who did it before you? Um, a man named Lloyd Hamilton, and he now works for Town Taxi in town. On peaks, you know everybody. Here you know most people, uh, but out there you live with these people and you know them and uh, you have, there's an interaction that goes on outside of the taxi. So. Now he's a Portland driver, but Lloyd Hamilton remembers driving the only cab on Peaks Island for six years. Uh, people, when they come home, they want to unwind from their day in town and everybody's chatty and, and they want to talk about how their day was what went on on the island, why did the fireboat come over. I enjoyed telling everybody what was going on. Lloyd says now the island is much different than it was when he grew up there. Socioeconomic climate is different out there now. Now everybody has SUVs. There were never any Lexuses or BMWs on Peaks Island. It was all cars that were, when you drove them in town to work and it couldn't get inspected any more than you brought it out to the island. And it wasn't very dependable, so they needed the taxi And People depend on the taxi. They want to know the first thing when they get off the boat is what happened over the winter. Who died, who cried, who lied. And... Yes, can I help you? Um, 4th Street, where Q's ice cream is. Okay. Who died, who lied, who cried? Who else but the steady lone chauffeur to drive the island news to every dweller on peaks? But as Lloyd says, the atmosphere is changing. Isn't that silly? Kathy explains that her role is a bit different now. The middle of her day revolves around dispersing the mail-order exercise equipment and online purchases sent FedEx or UPS to the Islanders. She says most of her deliveries are to the same people, people who are working at home. So it's really vital that I have to get around every day. You know, it's really important. Hi, Brian. Hi there. How you doing, Kathy? Good, good, good. Out for a hoof? For Kathy, the benefits are more than taking people to the grocery store, more than being at the center of island gossip, and even more than being able to be her own boss. One afternoon, before I headed back on the 2.30 ferry, we grabbed sandwiches at the local store and picnicked out on the back shore, looking toward Cliff Island. Be able to, you know, do your deliveries and pick, doing all the deliveries on the back shore during high tide and being able to see this. I don't take it for granted. You know, it's just, oh, every day it's something different. You know, it can be cloudy and the rocks and everything. It looks just like a black and white photo. And then on a sunny day, you have all the wild roses that grow on the back shore. The summer sun is starting to break through the clouds, and soon the population of Peaks Island will grow fivefold. But there will still be only one taxi during those long summer days. It will only be Kathy to meet you if you'd rather hitch a ride than hoof it out to your house. While it's still quiet, I'm heading back to the mainland. Waiting for the ferry on the docks of Peaks Island, I'm Karen Callahan with the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies. All right. righty. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, bye, honey. <laughs> bye. To wrap up this episode, Laura Candler of Salt takes us out to Swans Island, about halfway up Maine's coast and a 40-minute ride from the mainland, to see how seniors fare on Maine's islands. Living remotely has its challenges, 
and for older Mainers, they need a support system to thrive. Laura introduces one such support system in caregiver Donna Weagle, and at the same time, taps into the heart and soul of the island community, human compassion. Maine has the eldest population in the country. Within the state, there's an even higher concentration of older people that live on islands. But island life can be a struggle for even the most fit and capable individuals, not to mention senior citizens. The story takes place on Swans Island. It's a 7,000-acre island about halfway up the main coast and accessible only by a 40-minute boat ride. There's a general store there and a tea room, literally a room in somebody's house where you can buy tea. But that's about it. There's no high school, no doctor's office, and certainly no retirement home. This piece follows one elderly individual on the island and one of her most devoted caretakers, who's also a neighbor. Oh, (laughs) well, I'm going to turn it off. (laughs) My name is Donna Weagle, and I live on Swans Island. Swans Island has about 325 year-round residents on it, and of that population, there's 18%, 65 and older. I can only stay for a little bit because I have to go home and do something on the computer for my husband at, by 2.15. Oh. So I thought we could go out and talk and get the pill stuff yeah. straightened out. Theo is one of my neighbors, and she is 94 years old now. She'll be 95 years old on June 10th, and I know her birthday because I help her out with some medical things, and I've written her date of birth down many, many times. Do you know what day of the week it is? It's uh, Monday. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's Tuesday. My role with Theo is really about her medical needs uh, more than anything. What day? It's Wednesday today. Oh, Wednesday today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. So that would be important for you to know what day of the week it is about your pills. Yes, It's pretty amazing, all the things that she's done in her life. She served in the American Red Cross during World War II in, in the Pacific Theater. The Red Cross administrator asked me if I'd be willing to host a radio program, and I said yes. And it was called Red Cross Music Canteen of the Air, and I was called Saipan Ann. That was heard all over the Pacific area, and there was uh, my husband-to-be on the island. When the war ended, he proposed, and I accepted. She had, you know, a wonderful marriage, two daughters, a very public life in Washington, D.C. with her husband. My husband met everybody who was anybody. This is my husband with Hillary Clinton. And this was Henry Cabot Lodge. That's Rogers and Hammerstein. And that's Olivia de Havilland. Here's a picture of my husband with Bush, George Bush. All these people, they were well known. I forget who they were. lived this wonderful life, and here she is on Swans Island, on this little island off the coast of Maine, where she and her husband chose to spend their later years in life. I'm here now. My husband died uh, November 30th. Now that my husband's gone, well, that's really a, a big part of me that's gone, because... 65 years, you are really like one person. She has no family living here on Swans Island, and I think she has hopes that maybe one of her family members will 
come for her and have her either live with them or nearby. And, and I don't think that's an option for Theo. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think she's still holding out hope for that. I don't know how much longer I'll be living here because the doctor wants me to go live uh, uh, someplace else, not on the island. And I'm not sure where it'll be because my family is so scattered. Theo's house on the island is rumored to be the oldest house on the island. How appropriate that Theo, who's the oldest person on the island, lives in that house. And her house is kind of isolated. We don't have a town where houses are right close to one another. So, for example, at night, there would be no one who would look out to see a light on at Theo's house, nor could Theo look out any of her windows and see another house with a light on. So if something was to happen to her at night and she maybe needed to go to one of her neighbors, she, she does not have that as an option. She does have a few people that kind of have stepped up to the plate to help her and to make it so that she can stay here on the island. Well, I tell you, life is uh, very complicated now. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. And I appreciate your doing this. Oh, you're welcome. It's no trouble at all, really. Mm. Gives me something to do during the day. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have anything to do. No, I don't have anything to do, do I? Let's mm -hmm. see. I think I'm I think I'm confused myself. I got five She has a man named Lonnie Smith who is a retired marine. He's probably close to 80. He helps her with plumbing and heating issues and things like that, household repairs. And then she has a lady on the island named Jeannie Hoyle, and Jeannie helps her with her finances. And then she has a lady, Sherry Ellison. Sherry also will take Theo to the mainland to do her grocery shopping. We have a very small store on the island, but to do the bulk of your grocery shopping, most people go to the mainland. Steve, where were you going there? That Where were you going with Mr. Humphrey? Oh, well, I mean, that was just, you know, common... Occurrence. Cocktail party in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. <laughs> At the White House, maybe? At the White House? Yeah. Yes. I have developed and fostered this relationship with Theo, more like a grandmother than anything. And I think it's good because I can always go there and say I'm there for a medical reason, but then stay for social visits. Donna, it takes a, a great interest in everything that goes on here. And Lonnie comes uh, almost every single day. And... Uh, that kind of uh, takes your mind off your loneliness and things like that. So that's important, very important. So, Are they Steve's slippers? Yes. Okay, yes. I don't want you to trip. Let me feel. Oh, Holy crap! <laughs> They're pretty big. At the end of your life, you shouldn't be alone. There should be family around you, and there should be joyful things. And I think that the community of Swans Island has embraced Theo and, and her late husband, Steve. And I think that she is a very important part of our community. And I just wish there was some way for us to make these days and weeks and months and possibly years that she still has left to be a happier time for her again.
Laura crafted this piece, It Takes an Island, in 2012, and since then has created radio and multimedia stories for a variety of outlets, including Marketplace, Prairie Public, and Main Public. Essential Salt is a production of the Salt Institute for Documentary Studies at the Maine College of Art and Design in partnership with Maine Public. Essential Salt is produced by Lucy Santerre and me, Lucy Suchek. The role of contributing writer and editor is aptly filled by Isaac Kestenbaum, the director of The Salt. Our Essential Salt theme song is by Q Shop. You can find more music for storytelling at cue-shop.com. Find Essential Salt at mainpublic.org salt, or wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. On our next episode of Essential Salt, a native of the Congo finds community through language, the difficult path for one man to citizenship, and the healing power of Vietnamese karaoke. The mic is never idle for very long. As one patron says, it's good to talk, but we're here to sing. But those are stories for another day. I'm Lucy Suchek. Thanks for listening. <laughs>